Well, good morning, church. It's great to be here this morning. So we are currently in one of my favorite times of the year, which we are currently at the two-month mark where we've been allowed to listen to Christmas music. So there might have been Christmas music playing in our household for the past two months. So I'm sorry. I know that might be fighting words for some, but don't worry. I'm still praying for you. But we as a church, we're starting off our Christmas season at the church, as mentioned earlier. And the next, the schedule for the next couple of weeks is Pastor Dominic will be preaching next week, December 3rd. And as Phil was pointing out, on December 10th, we'll be having our kids youth and uh, Christmas program here, which they've been working hard on. And they always do such a great job in which I am super excited for that. It's always one of my favorite Sundays. But Today, the scripture we'll be going through is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to it, and it will be on the screens as well. But before we open up the text, let's go ahead and uh, open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you so much for... Uh, just the blessing it is to us and you speaking to us through the transformative power of it. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and we pray that you would speak to our minds today through the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we turn the microphone down a little bit? I'm hearing a little bit of ringing going on. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So we're going to go ahead and start in... Uh, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. In order to properly understand this passage, we must understand the why. 
Why did Jesus need to come into our world? Why did God become flesh? Why did he become human? Why did he become one of us? Why was Jesus born? If you want to know the answer to the why, we're going to have to go to the beginning of the Bible. Don't worry, we're not going to read the entire Bible today. We're not going to say it for the, don't worry. You'll be out uh, before uh, 9 o'clock tonight. Don't worry. That was a joke. If you want to know the answer to the why, so we're going to have to go to Genesis. Genesis 1. When God created the world, after creating the various parts of creation, God saw that what he created was not bad, but what he created was good. Right. And then in Genesis 3, we see that humanity chose to do what was wrong, and that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that the serpent tempted them with of the tree that they were not supposed to eat. And when God asked Adam what happened, Adam blamed Eve, even though he was totally accountable for his own actions. And then Eve blamed the serpent, even though she was totally accountable for her own actions. And this is both funny and sad because all of us can relate. This is a common response that we have is to blame others for the wrong things that we do. Or is it just me? One example of of how easy the blame game can be is one sunny Sunday afternoon. It was after church when Allison and I got home. We finished emptying the cars of our instruments, got Zephaniah inside. So we have two collies, Bear and Thor, and they're always excited to see us whenever we get home from church. So they were running all around and helping us unload the cars. And we called them inside, shut the garage door, put Zephaniah down for a nap, and we were watching football on TV, probably the Vikings losing. I'm not sure. Sorry, Phil. (laughs) Then about an hour later, Allison and I got a notification on our Ring security app that there was motion in our backyard. It was Bear standing patiently on our deck while barking at our back door. (laughs) We were startled to see him out there because he had been outside without us knowing that he had been out there. And what made it more of a stressful situation is that we have a den of coyotes that's about 200 yards uh, back in the woods behind our backyard, so we don't leave our dogs unsupervised going outside. So seeing Bear outside was quite a bit of su- a surprise for us. So we, ba- we both went downstairs, let Bear inside, and we bantered back and forth, asking and blaming each other. How did you let this happen? Why did you leave the garage door open? Did you let him out or did you forget him to let him back in? Did you check and see he was behind us? Did we leave him out there all all outside this morning? But we finally realized that it was ridiculous. And they were blaming each other for leaving the house door open and leaving it because Bear was back inside. And now we apologize to Bear. We gave him some treats, gave him a hug. Don't worry, Bear is just fine right now. Thank you, Carl. Yes. I know you're very concerned. Thank you, Carl. But this is just one small illustration that shows how easy it can be to blame each other for things, especially when emotions are high. Doesn't mean that it's easy. It's kind of comical. You see the blame game that Adam and Eve played out, but it's just a result of the fall of humanity and is something that is super easy for us to do as well. But when Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden, sin entered into creation. 
Every single part of creation was and is still affected by their actions. In theological terms, this concept is called original sin. Original sin is a term that defines the nature of humanity's sinful condition because of Adam and Eve's fall. It teaches that all people are corrupted by sin because we are all descended from Adam and Eve. We all enter the world guilty before God. We enter this world with a corrupt nature without hope apart from the saving grace of God. Every single person is affected by original sin. We inherit it from birth. No one is inherently good, which is a hard truth. And in addition to that being guilty before God, Adam and Eve's decision welcomed death into the picture. That every single part of creation is tainted with sin and it's tainted with death which is not God's desire or his heart. God hates sin, and he hates death. Things were not supposed to be this way. We hear the same idea in Romans 3.23, where Paul states that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. In this dramaturgical metaphor, there are four main scenes at play here. There are four major plot points within the Bible. So first, you have creation, right? God created the world and saw that it was good. And then second, you have the fall. Sin entered into the created order. It affects everything. You have creation, and then you have fall, the fall. And then third, in Genesis 3.15, God is talking to the serpent. So just right after the fall, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you, the serpent, will strike his heel. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. A head injury is much worse than a foot injury. There is hope woven into the most hopeless story of all time. In Genesis 3.15, God is saying that, he's saying to the serpent that there will be a day where an offspring, also known as this messianic figure, will defeat the serpent. And that's where our story picks up today, is in the first coming of Jesus, or the first advent. You might hear that term thrown around. There will be a day when the descendant will come and crush the serpent's head defeat death and sin completely and finally fulfill the prophecy that has been sitting there for thousands of years. And Jesus came, died on the cross for our sins and defeated death by his resurrection. And those who believe and trust in him receive the forgiveness of sins and new life in his name. And this is the third plot and it is known as redemption. It is where we currently are. And the fourth part of the plot involves Jesus coming back for his church in the second coming of Jesus or the second advent. And this is where we read in the book of Revelation with the new heavens and the new earth. Sin and death are completely eliminated. And that is where those who trust 
and believe in the name of Jesus will live with him forever in eternity, praising his name. Amen? And it's important to talk about these sobering truths and the glimpses of hope that we see because it helps us to understand the depth of God's love for us. It helps us to understand why the angel Gabriel came to Mary. It helps us to understand the why behind the birth of Jesus. And ultimately, it helps us understand why Jesus went to the cross. And it helps us to understand the why he rose from the grave. So we have creation, and we have the fall, and then this is the beginning of the next major plot point where Jesus comes to save us. This is the story of redemption. So diving into the scriptures here, Luke, we have two characters. We have the angel Gabriel, who told, who just in the previous story, who told the priest Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth was going to bear a child in her old age, and that she was going to give birth to a son that we would come to know as John the Baptist. If you remember this guy, this is a guy who ate honey and locusts, right? Honey sounds good. Locusts, not sure. Has anyone in here eaten locusts? Oh, no one. All right. Well, that's why no one eats it still today. But uh, John the Baptist was important because he was the prophet that came before Jesus and pointed to Jesus as the Messiah, the one who had finally crushed the serpent's head and deliver the people of Israel. So we have the angel Gabriel, and second, we have Mary. So Mary is believed to be in her teenage years, somewhere around 13 to 15 years old, because she was engaged to a man named Joseph. And in this culture at this time, this was the norm that, of the age that people would be pledged to be married to, engaged to, to someone. And what's important to see here is in verse 27, and also you see it in Matthew chapter 1, but Matthew points it out a little bit more meticulously, but that Jesus falls under the line of King David. And if you don't remember, David is one of the greatest kings of Israel. And the prophecies in the Old Testament pointed out that this messianic figure would come from the line of David, come from a kingly line. And contextually, as a fulfillment of prophecy, this is why the text is there. It's to show that this baby is being born from the line of a king. David's line and fulfills this messianic prophecy from the Old Testament. What's fascinating is that in almost any instance in the Bible, regardless of the greeting that the angel has, the response of the person that is receiving the greeting from the angel it's a response of fear. And in this instance, we see the angel said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Which is a very encouraging, it's a very positive greeting. But yet, Mary was still greatly troubled from the words and wondered what kind of greeting this was. And immediately after Mary was filled with fear, and Gabriel, Gabriel could tell that she was terrified with, with, the, with him, with the angel, and said, do not be afraid. 
Mary's response and Gabriel's words are consistent with other places throughout Scripture when we see angel encounters with people. For example, a very similar thing happened in the previous story with Zechariah, that the angel tells Zechariah to not be afraid, because Zechariah was afraid. But this is a consistent theme throughout the scriptures, and it's something that we can apply to our own lives, but that fear is not of the Lord, but that perfect love casts out fear. After Gabriel says, do not be afraid, Gabriel says that Mary will conceive and give birth to a son, and he is to be called Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. So I'm not sure... This is really what Mary was expecting to hear from the angel. Then again, I'm not really sure Mary was really expecting to meet an angel at that point in time anyway. But Mary was planning on being married to Joseph. Then she hears all of this information. You know, it's just a little bit of information to process. Not. This was a big deal with massive life-changing implications for her, which we'll talk about those implications shortly, but for now, you can see her honest response to the angel when she asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? As my wife Allison always tells me, there is no such thing as a bad question, which I think is true 99% of the time. But this is definitely a very good question that Mary is asking here. In Mary's case, the angel responds to Mary directly in great detail by saying that the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Mary has a clear response from the angel. But Mary's question, how will this be, carries with it emotional burdens of shame rejection, or even death. Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. And if Mary is a virgin and she becomes pregnant, how exactly does that work? How, how is she supposed to explain this to her friends, let alone to her fiancé, Joseph, who was supposed to marry her as a virgin? Mary could be abandoned by her fiancé, Joseph. She could be stoned by her community for adultery. She could become ostracized by her community and completely abandoned. And as a side note, we should always ask God our questions. We might not always get the answers that we desire, but God is listening And he hears us always. 
His ways are higher than ours, and he is patient with us in revealing his plans and his purposes for us in his timing, which might not always be our timing. But as we see in Matthew 1, Joseph did plan on leaving Mary. Right? He planned on leaving her quietly. He didn't want to cause a big scene. He didn't want to publicly embarrass her. So he decided to leave her quietly. And then an angel appeared to him in a dream and described to him what was going on, saying that Mary was pregnant with Jesus, who would save, him, save his people from their sins. And then once Joseph heard the angel, he believed it and decided not to leave Mary, but to be her husband. But Mary doesn't know this yet. And Mary is still, she still faces these fears of Joseph leaving her. But while Joseph decided to stay with her, thanks to that divine revelation that he'd received, Mary was still cycling through all the kinds of emotions, fears, insecurities. But, and as we pursue God's will for our lives, we may encounter these stressful feelings as well. It's knowing that Christ promises, promises us peace that surprises, surprises. Christ promises us peace that surpasses understanding. Yes. But it's important to note that when we experience fears, anxieties, and various insecurities, that it doesn't mean that we aren't Christians anymore or that God isn't faithful. Quite the contrary. But as we're promised in Romans 5, we can glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and that perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us, us, those who believe in Jesus. And as the angel tells the news to Mary, she has no idea that all of this is going to happen. That Joseph is not going to leave her. She doesn't know that she is not going to be stoned. That she's not going to be ostracized by her community. These are all things that could happen to her. And were likely running through her mind. Because Joseph was planning on leaving her. So these were real realities that she would be dealing with with this divine revelation that she is receiving. Let alone, let alone mentioning to people that she is currently pregnant with God's son. People are going to think that she's blaspheming, that she's crazy, or that she's lying to cover up adultery. That these are concrete scenarios that Mary is faced with. That sometimes when we're reading a story that we might be familiar with, we, as readers of this story, readers of this historical event, that it, we, we, it all makes sense because we know the outcome of the story. But it's important to remember that this person, Mary, has some very raw and real and honest questions. Mary's situation reminds us that God invites us to bring our questions to him. He wants us in the depths of our doubts, in the depths of our uncertainty, 
to bring our questions to him. God invites us to be honest because there are no questions that are too big for God. You're not going to ask God a question and God respond with, hmm, didn't think of that one before when I created the world into its existence through just the speaking of words. Right? So God wants us to bring our questions to him. God doesn't want us to fake it and just to say that everything is fine. He desires our honest thoughts and wants us to share our frustrations, our confusions with him. If we have doubts, he wants us to bring our doubts to him. And the kicker is, he already knows it, right? He knows every thought before we think them. We read that in Psalm 139, that nothing you say to God will surprise him, and nothing that you say to him will catch him off guard. That we are always going to be presented with uncertainties in this life. I think that is one thing that we can be certain of, is uncertainty. Ha, ha, ha. We're going to be faced with things that come up things that we don't understand. We are going to encounter situations where we are left wondering, what is going on, God? What is the purpose of this in my life? So in my personal life, I've had a few of these moments. One of them was when my wife, Allison, was diagnosed with breast cancer a few years back. And also last year when Zephaniah, our son, had febrile seizures last year which you can encounter fearful trials that can produce uncertainty and that every single person listening to this has experienced moments like these where we have uncertainties, where we have our doubts, and that we have our questions in whatever trials that we're facing. But it's in those times of uncertainties, it's in those times of the trials, in those doubts, it's knowing that God is with you. He hears all of your words, and he knows all of your thoughts. His ways are higher than ours, and that he is always with us. He is God with us, Emmanuel. And if you're going through this right now, you're going through a season of hardship, or if you're going through a season of chaos, or you're experiencing a a heartbreak, or a tragedy, or a loss of some kind, know this, that the Lord is with you. He has not forgotten about you. The Lord is with you, and the Lord has not forgotten about you. He suffers along with you while reigning victorious at the right hand of the Father. Continue to seek God. Continue to trust in him for he will give you the strength to face the moment. He'll give you strength to face the hour. 
And ultimately, he'll give you the strength to face the trials that we face. Prayer and trusting in God are of the utmost important, but it's also too good to remember that God sometimes sends us the help from others. So he, ha- he, he sends people to us to help look up to him. That's why we as a church have it as a value to connect with one another and be plugged into a group of other believers where you're connecting with God's word and they can help point you back to him. And that will really help you to get through various trials that you face as a believer in Jesus. It's also remembering that our hope is not in this world and it's not in the things of this world, but it is in the hope that is offered through the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, begotten of the Father. That we can trust in the words that the angel Gabriel passed on to Mary, for no word from God will ever fail. Now, once the angel shared all the information about how everything was going to happen and answered Mary's question, Mary's response should be a response that we have. She responded with, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Wow. The angel didn't address any fears, anxieties, or insecurities directly. The angel didn't tell her, Hey, Mary, don't worry. I'm going to speak to Joseph about this one, get this whole thing worked out, and explain to him what's going on, and he won't leave you. I'm also going to make an appearance to the community as well, so you know you don't get ostracized or stoned by your community. The angel doesn't do that. He doesn't say these things specifically. right? I'm not sure Mary even fully understood at this moment what the angel was telling her, but that the son will be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and will be the Son of God, which the angel describes the impossible happened with her relative Elizabeth, who conceived at a very old age, and that even greater things will happen through Mary. That Mary's response to the angel is a a wonderful example of what our response to God's will for our lives should be. Mary knew of all the potential consequences that could happen in her life. She knew everything that could go wrong. She responded with humility. She responded with faith. And she responded with trust. The angel did not mention anything regarding of any of Mary's potential fears. But the angel gave the larger purpose. And Mary trusted in what the Lord was telling her. Mary trusted in the Lord despite all the fears that surrounded her. We might not know the answers to the questions or what lies ahead or and the fears that we face might be real fears. And following God's will for our lives and being a follower of Jesus is costly. And that scripture reminds us that we may be isolated 
we might be ostracized, and that we might face persecution, and that we might face death. And that there are many Christians in other countries right now that are facing this reality on a daily basis. And we were reminded of that when we have missionaries come and speak here. And that when they speak here, we literally cannot publish anything online for certain missionaries or the possibility of further persecution or even the possibility of death. Right? We were hearing stories this past summer of people being put on hit lists because of their faith in Jesus and being persecuted, even put to death for uh, being leaders within the Christian community. Right? And it's encouraging to hear the work that God is doing within these countries. It's important to note that our God is much greater than any of these fears or troubles that we face on this side of heaven and that we can always look to Jesus who is our king and is sovereign over all things we can trust that Jesus is and will always be our great provider he is always enough and will always meet our needs and we place our hope and our faith in him. Then ultimately, the reason why Jesus came was to provide salvation for us, was to provide redemption for the entire world. The reason why Jesus came was to provide a way for us to have eternal life with God. Now, as I was sharing before, there was a need for Jesus to come because of the fall of humanity that we see in Genesis 3. And Jesus is the offspring that is described in Genesis 3.15. And that he crushed the serpent's head and defeated the power of death through the cross and through the resurrection. The purpose of Jesus being born was to give us hope. Hope in his birth, hope in the cross, hope in the resurrection and the new life he promises, but also in the victories and in through all the trials of life. We won't always understand what God is doing in our lives, but we can trust in him and we can trust in his plans for us, which are for our ultimate good and which are ultimately for his glory. Jesus Christ was born to save the world and that we are called to share this hope to our world. And our goal as a church this year is to reach 200 and is to share this hope that we have in Jesus to 200 people collectively as a church. Really, there's no better time of year than this time of year to help share this hope with people in your lives. The holidays can be a very tough season for some people. And so it can be a, a tough season for some, but it can also be a season where people are can open up their ears 
to hear the message of salvation, to hear this message of hope that is offered freely to anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ. In closing, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus this season, continue to be thinking of and praying for the people that need to know Jesus. People that need, need to know the hope that is found in Jesus and people that need the gift of eternal life. Just as Mary was faithful to the response of the Lord's calling in her life in the midst of uncertainties, in the midst of doubts, God calls us to step out in faith and trust in him and be lights in our world and to help share the eternal hope that we have in him, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and we'll close in prayer. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that is found in your name for those who believe and trust in the cross and in the resurrection. We pray that you would help us to trust in you and the uncertainties that can pop up in our lives and throughout the trials that can quickly come our way. Pray that you would give us the strength to face those trials and pray that you would give us the perseverance to sustain us through what comes our way. We pray that you would also give us the courage and the boldness to help share this hope that is found in your name to those who are around us, whether that be a family member or a friend or a coworker. I pray that you would give us a discernment of what you want us to say, how to say it, and help us to be there for people who might be having a tougher time this season. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. All of God's people said.